This program is presented by Birch Gold Group, the precious metal IRA specialist. Good morning. In today's headlines, a ballot counting conundrum in Nevada. It could be another week before we know the results from the Silver State. Find out why. With control over the U.S. House of Representatives still hanging in the balance, Republicans come away with some key victories in tough New York races. Republicans are doing some California dreaming. A few undecided congressional races there could help propel them to power in the House. A painful lesson for GOP leaders touting in-person voting. Mail-in ballots lofted U.S. Senate candidate John Fetterman to victory. Find out how many more in-person votes Mehmet Oz had on Election Day. And Hurricane Nicole makes landfall on Florida's east coast. It has now been downgraded to a tropical storm. Good morning. Welcome to NTD. I'm Kevin Hogan. And I'm Evelyn Lee. Today's Thursday, November 10th. Yeah, and what a tricky election. And we knew it was going to be like that, Evelyn. I mean, we got delays in Nevada. They're still counting ballots in Arizona. And there's a runoff for the U.S. Senate seat in Georgia. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, absolutely no surprise there. And it could be a while before we know, too. So a quick breakdown here. Three states have yet to call their races, Nevada, Arizona, and Georgia. Nevada currently has Republican Adam Laxalt leading over the incumbent Democrat Catherine Cortez Masto. Arizona is showing incumbent Democrat Mark Kelly leading GOP's Blake Masters. And Georgia's race between Democrat incumbent Raphael Warnock and Republican challenger Herschel Walker is going to a runoff in December. Right now, Democrats are projected to have secured 48 seats. They picked up one in Pennsylvania. Republicans control 49 seats. If the parties split the contests in Nevada and Arizona, it will come, come down to Georgia to decide the balance of the power in the chamber. Georgia's runoff election will be held on December 6th. It could be another week, though, before Nevada finishes counting its ballots. The governorship, a U.S. Senate race, and three congressional seats remain uncalled. And today's Jeremy Sandberg has more on the ballot counting conundrum in the Silver State. Tens of thousands of mail-in ballots still need to be counted from Washoe and Clark counties. These counties make up 90% of the vote in Nevada. Clark County Registrar of Voters Joe Gloria says nearly 15,000 mail-in ballots were received Monday and Tuesday. They started counting them Wednesday. The USPS pickup for today was over 12,700 ballots. Gloria says the close to 13,000 mail-in ballots received Wednesday won't be counted until at least Thursday. The registrar says mail-in ballots will be counted as long as they are received before November 12th and postmarked by Election Day and that the process of curing ballots with unclear signatures and verifying provisional ballots will continue into next week. Curing can occur if the signature on the ballot envelope doesn't appear to match the voter's signature on file. Voters have until the close of business on Monday to fix it. The mail will continue to process every day, and the cure processing takes place every day as well. Gloria also says county election officials are working on processing, in his words, a considerable amount of drop boxes received that held a considerable amount of ballots from Tuesday. Republican U.S. Senate candidate Adam Laxalt is leading in a tight contest with incumbent Democratic Senator Catherine Cortez Masto. Right now, Laxalt is coming in with just over 49 percent of the vote. 
Cortez Masto is right behind him with just under 48%. An estimated 90% of the votes have been counted so far. Laxalt asks supporters to be patient and says he's confident of a win. Unfortunately, we're in for a long night and maybe even a few days into this week as all the votes are tabulated, but we're confident that the numbers are there and we're gonna win this race. We're gonna take back Nevada and take back America. Thank you all. Democrat Governor Steve Sisolak is also in a tight race for re-election against Republican challenger Joe Lombardo. We need some patience. We need some patience because we don't know the answers yet and we will know in the next couple of days. That's what they're telling us. Lombardo is currently in the lead with close to 50% of the vote. Sisolak had just over 46%. Everybody keep paying attention to the polls as they come in and keep your fingers crossed, keep supporting, keep saying your prayers and we're gonna be successful and then we're all gonna get back together again and have a real party, all right? Three house seats are hanging in limbo. Nevada state law requires officials to finish counting and submit a report to the Secretary of State's office by November 17th. Jeremy Sandberg, NTD News. Hundreds of thousands of votes still remained uncounted in Maricopa County yesterday. Election officials in Arizona's most populous county say it could take until at least Friday to tally all votes. Meanwhile, several instances of voting day technical malfunctions have been reported. NTD's Daniel Monahan has more. The race for governor and U.S. Senate remained uncalled on Wednesday with about 70% of votes tallied. Republican Carrie Lake called the people running the show in Arizona incompetent. Two minutes in, two minutes into voting, we had people being told, well, you're going to have to put your little ballot over here into another box, guys. Her Democratic opponent, Katie Hobbs, who as Secretary of State also oversees the elections, had a different message for her supporters. I have every confidence that the counties administering this election conducted free and fair, conducted a free and fair election, and their results will be accurate. But they will take time. Margins between Democrats and Republicans narrowed considerably Wednesday in key Arizona races. Democrats maintained small but dwindling leads in contests for the U.S. Senate, Governor and Secretary of State. Meanwhile, Republicans were optimistic that the late-counted ballots would break heavily in their favor, as they did in 2020. Election officials assured voters that every ballot would be counted. This after malfunctions at about one-quarter of the polling places across Arizona's most populous county slowed down voting. The snag on Tuesday fueled worries about the integrity of the vote in the tightly contested state. But how do you get fair and free elections? You have to fight and win to make them fair and free. About 17,000 ballots in Maricopa County, or approximately 7% of the 275,000 dropped off Tuesday, were affected. The latest data shows Lake trailing Hobbs by about 13,000 votes, with about 75% of ballots counted. In the Senate, Democrat Mark Kelly leads Republican challenger Blake Masters by around five points. Daniel Monahan, NTD News. The Georgia Senate race is still too close to call, and Georgia Secretary of State has announced that the two major candidates will face each other in a runoff election. And today's Jason Perry is in Atlanta to give us a first-hand look at the situation. I'm here in Atlanta, Georgia, where the people know who their governor is, but they have yet to figure out who will be their next senator. The race between Herschel Walker and Senator Warnock is just too close to call. 
On 13 WMAZ, Secretary of State Brad Raffensperger announced the two candidates will now have to face off in a runoff election on December 6th. I ask the voters to come out and vote one last time. We have no control over how many campaign ads our voters are going to see over the next 30 days, but we'll make sure that we have honest and fair elections. Now here are clips from both candidates when they spoke to their supporters on election night with no winner yet determined. Whether it's later tonight or tomorrow or four weeks from now, we will hear from the people of Georgia. Just hang in there a little bit longer because something good, it takes a while for it to get better. And it's going to get better. So I want to just thank you guys for hanging in. I spoke to some people in downtown Atlanta to see what they think are the top concerns for Americans. I personally think public transportation is the most vital thing to the United States right now. You know, obviously we had the insurrection on January 6th, um, and I think it's an interesting time right now because people are concerned generally about democracy, but they're also concerned about economics. The particular is election denial and activities that seem to undercut democracy, and that's my big concern. Depending on how the other Senate races go across the country, a Georgia State Senate runoff could be a winner-take-all for their party's control of the Senate. Jason Perry, NCD News, Georgia. Texas Senator Ted Cruz is heading to Georgia to campaign for fellow Republican Herschel Walker. The two will hold a rally at 6.30 Eastern Time Thursday evening in Canton, Georgia. That's tonight. It seems Tuesday's elections could bring a painful lesson for GOP leaders who tout in-person voting. Mail-in ballots catapulted Democrat candidates to victories in several key races. One example is Democratic candidate for U.S. Senate John Fetterman. Fetterman's Republican opponent, Mehmet Oz, drew around 500,000 more in-person voters to the polls on Election Day. That's based on unofficial tallies available as of November 9th. But that margin wasn't enough. Fetterman's mail-in total was almost 870,000. That's quadruple what Oz had in that column. The result was a 655,000 mail-in vote difference in Fetterman's favor. According to the U.S. Elections Project, around 635,000 of the roughly 1.4 million mail-in ballots sent out in Pennsylvania were mailed before the debate, a debate Fetterman struggled in due to a stroke in May, causing many to question his ability to serve in the Senate. A state lawmaker in Pennsylvania was re-elected in a landslide victory. There's only one problem. He died last month. Democrat State Representative Tony DeLuca passed away at age 85 due to lymphoma. Election officials say it was too late to change the ballots. His opponent got just 14 percent of the vote. DeLuca's posthumous victory has triggered a special election that will take place soon. Now let's take a look at the current balance of power in the House of Representatives. As of this morning, Republicans hold 210 seats to 191 for Democrats. That means Republicans need eight more seats to take control. 33 House contests are still to be decided, including 21 of the 53 most competitive races. Republicans remain favored, but the final outcome will probably not be determined for some time.
Republicans scored several wins in competitive House races in New York. They picked up a seat in the 4th District, one seen as a Democratic stronghold. That's where Anthony D'Esposito beat Laura Gillen to succeed retiring Democrat Representative Kathleen Rice, who won her first term in 2014. In New York's 3rd District, George Santos defeated Robert Zimmerman, and Republican Nicola Lota beat Bridget Fleming in District 1. As of yesterday, Republicans have secured 10 congressional seats in New York. That's a two-seat gain compared to two years ago. Meanwhile, Republican Brandon Williams declared victory yesterday over Democrat Francis Canole. This in a fiercely contested race for the 22nd congressional district seat. However, Canole has not conceded and says there are still votes to be counted. A string of too early to call California races remains in play. They could end up determining whether Republicans seize control of the House or Democrats hang on to power. The most competitive of those races were in the Los Angeles area and the Central Valley Farm Belt. In Southern California, Democratic Representatives Katie Porter and Mike Levin were locked in close races. This despite President Joe Biden's late-hour campaign swing on their behalf. East of Los Angeles, Republican Representative Ken Calvert was trailing Democrat Will Rollins by 12 points, but less than one-third of the anticipated votes had been tallied. In the Central Valley, GOP Representative David Valadeo had 54 percent of the votes counted so far in his race against Democrat Rudy Salas, but most ballots had yet to be tabulated. Meanwhile, Republican Mike Garcia currently holds a 15 percentage point lead over Democrat Christy Smith in California's 27th congressional district. If Calvert hangs on and Republicans oust Porter and Levin and win an open seat in Central California, the scenario would look similar to 2020. That year, GOP House candidates flipped four seats in a state where registered Democrats outnumber Republicans nearly two to one. Missouri and Maryland voted to legalize adult-use marijuana. This boosted the number of states where recreational use is legal for those over 21. Midterm voters in Arkansas, North Dakota, and South Dakota, meanwhile, rejected proposals to legalize recreational marijuana. That's marking what's believed to be the first time such legalization measures were denied in statewide ballot referendums. Adult recreational use of cannabis is now legal in 19 states. 37 states have legal medical marijuana programs. With the ballot measure votes on the books, Maryland and Missouri became the 20th and 21st states to legalize recreational marijuana use. And in other news, Hurricane Nicole made landfall on Florida's east coast today after it plowed through the Bahamas yesterday. It was downgraded to a tropical storm after being upgraded to a hurricane when it reached speeds of 75 miles per hour yesterday. All hurricane warnings in the area have been discontinued. Hurricane Nicole was briefly upgraded from a tropical storm as it lashed through the West Indies with speeds of 75 miles per hour on Wednesday. But as it hit Florida's east coast earlier this morning, it quickly weakened and was downgraded again to a tropical storm. Nicole was still hitting a large area of the state with strong winds and heavy rain. Evacuation orders and curfews were dropped this morning and all previous hurricane warnings discontinued. Anticipated to have been a rare November hurricane, it led local officials to shut theme parks and airports, including former President Trump's Mar-a-Lago Club. Over 80,000 homes were left without electricity as the storm approached. 
Authorities warned that Nicole could cause further erosion to beaches devastated by Hurricane Ian, which hit the state on September 28th, causing an estimated $60 billion in damage and killing more than 140 people. And still to come, Russia retreats from Kherson, signaling a turning point in the Ukraine conflict. It marks one of Russia's most significant retreats to date. And a worldwide network of secret Chinese police stations are reportedly being used to coerce dissidents back to China. We visit one of them in northwest London after the break. Welcome back. Russia signaled a possible turning point in the war in Ukraine on Wednesday with news of one of its most significant retreats to date. Defense Minister Sergei Shoigu ordered Russian troops to withdraw from the west bank of the Dnipro River near the southern city of Kherson. Ukraine reacted with caution to the announcement. Presidential adviser Mikhailo Podolyak told Reuters some Russian forces were still in Kherson and it was too early to talk of a withdrawal. Kherson city is the only regional capital captured by Russia since its invasion in February. Its abandonment would be a major setback for Moscow. Russian troops were ordered to take up defensive lines on the east bank of the river Dnipro. Moscow said it was no longer possible to maintain supplies to its forces in Kherson city. It follows weeks of Ukrainian advances towards the city. Russia has raced to relocate tens of thousands of residents, a move Kiev says includes forced deportations. Moscow says it is taking people to safety. Russian President Vladimir Putin will not attend the Group of 20 summit in Indonesia next week. The British security minister recently told members of parliament that British police are investigating unofficial Chinese police stations in the UK. The stations, of which three have been identified in the UK, are reportedly part of a global network of service stations used to intimidate overseas Chinese. NTD's Jane Warrell has more from Northwest London. Now one of the locations identified as an undeclared Chinese police station is here in Hendon, Northwest London. That's according to a report by the NGO Safeguard Defenders. That it's one of three found to be in the UK. The other one is in Croydon and the third one in Glasgow in Scotland. Concerns have been raised in Parliament, including by the chair of the Foreign Affairs Committee. Now publicly these stations are harmless administrative centres for Chinese nationals. But reports suggest that actually, in fact, they are used to hunt down dissidents and alleged Chinese criminals. Now, There's evidence such service stations are being used as so-called persuasion operations, coercing Chinese dissidents back to China. We know there are lots of Chinese overseas, um, say, dissidents um, residing in the UK, um, still trying to continue their advocacies. And we also talk about Uyghurs, um, Hong Kongers you now in the UK. Um, they came to UK because they believe that this is a place where they can be free. However, those stations are basically acting as a contact points for the police departments to still expand their, their policing in those places. The Safeguard Defenders report found that public security bureaus from two Chinese provinces has 54 service stations in 30 countries. And London's Met Police have confirmed counter-terrorism police officers are looking into the report to assess whether the stations could have broken the law and require further investigation. Chen says an undeclared station that says it provides services like renewing driving licenses for Chinese nationals 
as a way for them to stay under the radar. In Europe, in, in the UK, for example, there is human rights mechanisms, there's anti-torture um, um, a mechanism, ICCPR, basically forbidding um, governments to deport anyone, to send anyone to a country that where they might face torture or inhuman, in, in, inhuman treatment. And that is in the case of, you know, UK and China. And then so they want to do this kind of a, you know, alternative method for them to actually target anyone abroad and then to force them to come to China without using those official channels or, which are established. There appear to be two companies at the address for the service station in Hendon. One is Hunter Realty, an estate agency. And as you can see from this plaque, one is New World Law Associates Limited. No one responded for the number listed for New World Law, whereas someone did pick up the number for Hunter Realty, but after hearing I was a reporter, they said they couldn't hear me very well and hung up the phone. The man inside Hunter Realty said they recently had lots of visits from reporters and I couldn't meet anyone without an appointment. Alerting this On the government level, the security minister has recently said the police are investigating the service stations in the UK. The first minister of Scotland announced an investigation into the Glasgow police station. Ireland ordered the service station in Dublin to be shut. Beijing's long policing arm is coming under increasing scrutiny across the world. Jane Worrell, NTD News, London. And next, a woman from Texas looks as though she stepped out from the cover of a 1940s fashion magazine every day. She does it to make herself and other people happy. That story after the break. We're continuing the program with a woman from Texas who has amassed a wardrobe of over 50 vintage hats, 60 bags and 75 dresses. She wears vintage clothing every day and looks stunning. Let's find out what inspired her to do that. It's a part of me now and how I like to look. Gwendolyn Erin Patterson from Dallas wears only glamorous attire from the World War II era. I've always been a big fan of old Hollywood movies and escaping through the glamour and the beauty of their style and fashion. She says she never felt quite like herself wearing mass-produced clothes. I started collecting these pieces in high school, but I never dared wear them because I, I thought it was so different. She now has a wardrobe straight out of a 1940s fashion magazine. I have, gosh, probably at least 50 hats just dozens of straw hats, wool felts, uh, wide brim, short brim. My favorite kind are tilt hats. Oh boy, just dozens and dozens of shoes, uh, shoes of every color and material. I, I absolutely love the rayon crepe late 30s, early 40s dresses. Those are very hard to come by, but that's what most of my collection consists of. But the beauty of these garments has deeper meaning for Erin. It makes you feel very put together, but also like you're a part of history. You're, you're wearing something that has seen uh, so much time. If a garment or an accessory has a backstory to it, I love knowing who owned the pieces and where they came from. It feels like, you know, something that has been loved and then you can be the, the next caretaker loving it as well. 
Erin, her husband Sam, and her best friend Jamie wear vintage clothing daily to make themselves and other people happy. It's nice, especially for our veterans. We love bringing a smile to their face when they see us. It reminds them of their, their wife or their mother, and it brings back a very special memory to them. Buying these vintage pieces takes a lot of online shopping, and certain hat models are impossible to find, so Erin decided to learn how to make them herself. It's a, a little velvet hot pink hat, so I have a little floral decoration on it. This is actually an authentic millinery piece from the 40s or 50s probably. So it would sit on my head like this and uh, lean towards the front. Her future plans include making enough tilt hats to be able to sell online, restoring with her husband a 1910 house to its former glory, and producing a 1940s singing and dancing act with her friend Jamie. There is the glamorous, beautiful side to wearing vintage, but there's also the um, things you're able to accomplish through it. We would love to eventually go and perform at assisted living or nurse nursing homes to the elderly and um, put a smile on their faces. They look so great. And you know, I totally understand her if you just really want to find something that you feel more comfortable and more confident in. Yeah, and that's totally retro. And you know, I know the movie Catch Me If You Can was set in the 1960s, but really, it reminds me of the airline stewardess's clothes. <laughs> there is some resemblance, you're right. Yeah, and I mean, traditional look is really appealing. You know, there's a certain vibe to it. I agree, I agree, as we just saw. Anyway, that's all for today's program. We're wrapping it here. We'd love to hear from you. Before you go, you can share your thoughts and your story at goodmorning at ntd.com. So shoot us an email if you want. Thanks for watching. I'm Evelyn Lee. And I'm Kevin Hogan.